everybody. This is Talk Clean to Me. I'm your host, Joe Karen. And I'm Chloe Holzinger. Today we're sitting down with Gino Verde. Michael, if you could please go ahead and introduce yourself. All right. Uh, my name is Michael Harrington. I am the CEO and senior scientist at Gino Verde. Um, yeah. Cool. Tell us about Gino Verde. What do you guys do? Uh, so we're into improving crop yields. So essentially we, we bioengineer crops to increase yield for specific purposes. Uh, so it could be for bioenergy purposes. It could be for increased uh, wood production, depending on the, the application. Cool. So it's important to understand that we always get the, the question of, or oh, do you genetically modify stuff? And that's not what we do. Mm-hmm. We, we essentially uh, try to take what nature's done for millions of years and just improve upon it. So, uh, for example, it could be to Im- improve uh, plant defense or in- increase the amount of sugar production in, in crops and ultimately use that for uh, commercial applications. So typically focusing on non-food crops mm-hmm. is what we do. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, yeah, when I was first exposed to this technology, I thought it was really interesting. So you are making these trees more dense, right, mm-hmm. is the idea? Yes. So more or less the same tree, just a lot more packed in there that we need so you can make more efficient use of the space and the resources? Exactly. It's okay. it, The idea is to... Again, cr- increase yield without having to increase the amount of land that you use or the water or fer- fertilizer. The trees have been engineered to do this by sequestering more CO2 from the atmosphere. So essentially, Fantastic. essentially they take that CO2, mm-hmm. uh, uh, convert that carbon mm-hmm. into sugar, and store that in wood. And that's how you get the increased density. So, Excellent. So could you potentially market this to companies who want to... Uh, have some sort of carbon offset. Exactly. That's that's oh, exactly okay. where we're we're looking into. Oh, cool. Um, essentially, there are two two ways to look at it. You know, if you're from the farmer's perspective, right there, they're very much interested in increasing yield. But right. you also have companies or other people who are just interested in uh, doing or playing their their part to and clean up the environment. And this directly plays into that. Can you walk us through that process of, you know, exploring the market and yeah. figuring out where you fit in it? This is what oh, okay. I, our, <laughs> listeners, our listeners might be tired of me asking this question. But this is my favorite question. I think this is the big challenge for startups. At least it's the first really big hurdle you fit, yeah. you yeah. face is product market. It's the first time you run mm-hmm. into the market with your product. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really interesting experience. Mm-hmm. Especially for academics. Yeah, especially well, that's, for that's academics. what I was going to say is that, <laughs> you know, for, for years in academia, you write your grants and you're proposing that, oh, this is going to solve this problem or be important for certain industries. And then you go out and you talk to those people in the industry and they tell you, yeah, we're not really interested. Yeah, what are you right? talking yeah. about? And <laughs> it's, it's like, and then you realize, care. you know, you, <laughs> <It's cheap. laughs> you realize you've been working on this for years and yeah. you're sort of on the wrong track. Mm-hmm. And But ultimately, you know, the, the science is great and that uh, you just have to sort of outsmart yourself and think differently <laughs> and uh, uh, find out where the best application is. Mm-hmm. And for us, so as I said before, we were really focused on the bioenergy to a biofuel market. Mm-hmm. 
And it, it essentially started uh, in 2008 with the high gas prices and all of that, the economic downturn. And as we were coming out of that, gas prices started to come down. Right. And the demand for biofuels was lessening, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we would go out and we would, uh, during our uh, product market fit uh, interviews, we would go out and talk to people like uh, ADM, Archer, Daniel Midlands, and um, asking them, okay, we have this technology, you know, would it be useful for you guys or are you even interested? And they were like, no, <laughs> no, not really. So, and, and it was essentially, it was, uh, well, what do we do now? And I think the, the very interesting thing for me is that uh, what we do is applicable to many markets. Mm-hmm. So we already had some, some idea that, okay, well, if biofuel was, fuels wasn't going to work, how else do we apply this? So it, we just started going out and talking to people, right? Saying, asking them, what are your problems? What, what, how can we potentially solve it, right? And it came to find out that trees was a, a good solution. Mm-hmm. And particularly because of the carbon sequestration aspect of it, you know, forests are really the, the largest land sinks for uh, carbon sequestration. So it's just fit for us. Cool. How many customers would you say you've talked to, potential customer discovery? So far, 165. 165, not bad. So, but they tell us customer discovery never ends. So, (laughs) that's not enough. (laughs) Roughly, who are your customers? In the Southeast, uh, there's over 700 million acres of of forested, managed plantation, loblolly pine farms. And essentially what I had to do was go talk to them, talk to the farmers. Yeah. So it, that was a quite an interesting experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what, how did they – were like, who is this guy? Like, what well, they, This was southeastern uh, U.S.? I, well, I'm, just, I, I'm glad you, you're sort of going down that road, which is a little, <laughs> little interesting because uh, – so we started this process talking to the farmers during our i mm-hmm. experience. I don't, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that, mm-hmm. but it's essentially going out doing customer discovery. Right. And um, – uh, we had just come off our pivot from biofuels and decided, okay, let's go talk to farmers. And I, I actually went to college in South Carolina, so I knew there were a bunch of tree farmers down there, mm-hmm. but I didn't know any of them. And ultimately, I had to just, you know, sort of cold email people and try and set up uh, appointments with them to talk to these farmers. And I was a little nervous, you know, yeah. as I have to be honest, as a as a black man just walking up on the farm somewhere just sure. wasn't really something I was too comfortable with. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think ultimately that, uh, you know, when I got down to talk to them and to meet them, you know, they were very welcoming and very open. Great. And it was a good experience. And uh, I always tell people who are going through this customer discovery process that a lot of the uh, inhibitions, a lot of the the issues that you think you may have are all in your head, and mm-hmm. you just have to mm-hmm. go out and do it. Yeah, right. Regardless of you know what yeah. what may be the little fear factor in your head. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, I remember when I so I went through a program pretty similar to ICOR uh, when I was starting my first you know co- um, you know university technology spinoff when I was a grad student, and it's tough to just 
call people up and say, hey, can I talk to you? Mm-hmm. And then to go in to talk to them, there's uh-huh. just, you just you just have to leap off and do it. You're, you'd be surprised how often people are just willing to talk to you, right? right? They mm-hmm. have problems. They want people to solve those problems. Right. If you come ready to listen and ready to engage with them, they're happy to talk about what their problems are because they want someone to solve these problems, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. It's a process that you really have to get comfortable with. Right. I, I remember the first time doing these interviews and I was like, what the heck do I say to these people? I'm like, so it, it'd be these awkward silences. But then yeah. I realized that you have to use those awkward silences to your advantage, right? Because right. you give the person the opportunity to right. tell you more. So right. That's, that's And personally, I'm... most of my, um, <laughs> most of my uh, personal experiences and people I interact with have all either been Northeastern or um, non-American. Uh-huh. So when I went to school for the first time in North Carolina, I had a very difficult time understanding local North Carolinians. The accent is just something that I'm not used to. And it's something that I struggled with for the entire year and a half that I went to school there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the culture, like even though it's still the U.S., there is a huge culture difference between rural North Carolina mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. suburban Boston. Right. So it's can be really difficult. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Even if you're not selling them things, even if you're just interacting on the street, like it's hard. There is a cultural boundary mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. can be hard to overcome sometimes. Right. But you just have to be open. Yeah. Right? You have to be open to yeah. understanding that people are different and right. we're all connected in some way. You just have to find yeah. how to make that connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And I, I liked your comment on awkward silences. That was my biggest struggle because I am an extreme extrovert. I, I can't – awkward silences eat away at my soul. <laughs> like it's, but you gotta, you got to just let them sit. And, uh, and mm-hmm. you know, and as you start selling products, like I do sales mostly for my company, uh, you, they're, they're critical. you got to let those silences sit because you can't you – can't, put your impression on the person. You're there to learn. Exactly. And if you give them an impression, you're not getting their honest opinion. Mm -hmm. It's really important to get Mm -hmm. that. Just sitting there being quiet lets other people fill that awkward silence, Mm -hmm. and then you learn more about them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. So one thing I'd like to to touch on next is the the origin of uh, Gino Verde. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, how, um, how did this happen? How did this idea turn into a company, turn into a product? What's that process been like? Uh, quite an exciting one, I will say. That's, <laughs> Great. Um, well, I have to put, again, some context here. So I, um, I went through college, did a PhD, did a postdoc, did a second postdoc, and then I realized wow. that, you know, what am I doing? I know. I, and I, think, I, I think I just got to the point where... You know, it was asked of me, so what's next? What's your plan? Yeah. And I saw that I was being sort of going down a path or herded down a path that wasn't really exciting for me. Mm -hmm. And um, nothing knocking against academia, but that's just not where I see best use of my talents. Uh, I think I'm better a mentor versus Mm -hmm. a professor. Anyway, so um, I... I, the idea actually came out during my first postdoc, so I did a, a postdoc in France, mm-hmm. and there the mindset was always to apply the science, and versus typically at academic institution is for the for the understanding or for the knowledge, 
Uh, I, I just got to the point where that idea stuck. And then when I transitioned back to the U.S., it was something that I really said, okay, I'm going to, going to pursue. But I just didn't know how it was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I have to give credit to uh, our chief scientific officer, who is uh, a partner in the company, Sam Hazen. He's also a professor here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I have to give him credit because he was able to sort of take a step back and allow me to explore the, this opportunity um, and uh, be supportive in that. So uh, it's more of the situation where it was, okay, well, we're going to try and start a business and we're going to take what we're, we've been doing, mm-hmm. uh, improving yields and in, in, in crops and see if this we can make something out. He, he often tells me he, he's learning a lot and having a lot of fun. So I'm happy with that because it makes <laughs> yeah. my job a little easier too. And uh, I, I definitely think that uh, for this to have worked, um, you would need someone like that, a champion, yeah. to help you navigate this process. So Yes, yeah, it really can't definitely. happen in a vacuum. I mean, that's one thing that's great about, you know, the clean tech community in the Northeast, right, is there's so many mentors and so many people who are willing to help you and be your network and support you because you can't you can't do it on your own right. it takes a, it takes a village uh-huh. and uh, mm-hmm. we have a pretty good village here i right. think in the northeast and that's can you tell us more about your team like who's actually working on this project with you we have uh two other management team members sam hazen he's the chief scientific officer and then we also have todd michael who is a um who's the director of genomics mm-hmm. so I will say that this the team was put together based upon our I-Corps experience. So the same team that we started with in I-Corps sort of transitioned to the management team at the company. Right, right. Are you a postdoc here currently as well as being uh, CEO of your company? No. Uh, as of July 1st of 2016, I transitioned from my position here to full-time at Geno Verde. Congratulations. And it's exciting. I, I still do... In, in addition to doing the work as, of a CEO, I still do a lot of science. So yeah, I, I I just sort of transitioned my location. Was that a scary decision to you finally to finally depart formally from academia? No, no, <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, after two I, postdocs. Ultimately, I mean, I guess ultimately, I I still because we we do collaborate with uh, Sam's lab here at, at UMass, so I'm not fully detached from the university. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I don't miss, you know, the academic setting. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm more excited about the possibility and the transition, uh, possibly what's to come in the transition that's happened than to be concerned about having left. I think, I think if I were to pick one thing that I was concerned about, it's just the lack of security. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah. It's sort of like, <laughs> holy I understand. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right, you yeah. know. But again, that I think for me, that just keeps me hungry. It keeps me always <laughs> motivated. To, yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 always motivated to, to, to push myself and to, you know, make I it I have a been in the exact same place. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> and I think many entrepreneurs have been, have those stories, whether mm-hmm. they are founders or C-level or... Is somebody like me who just needed a job. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's true. It's like I mean, it's it's. But I mean, I I will, you know, say that I bet you don't 
regret the decision. Not right. at all. Not so. for not for a second. Sounds like you don't either. No, 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 no. <laughs> so it's an exciting place to be. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So here at Amherst, we've you're the second startup that we've talked to today uh-huh. um, at US Amherst, mm-hmm. and. We were wondering what are what have you been your experiences um, like here at Amherst? Okay, uh, it's been very supportive, mm-hmm. and um, I have to say that this process I would say has been in in the works for about a year and a half to two years, perhaps. There were a lot of different uh, workshops that were being offered. Uh, I just started going to these workshops and uh, realizing that. The momentum for um, creating startups and uh, uh, spinning out companies here at U- UMass, there was a lot of uh, effort and emphasis put on that, especially with the creation of the Berthoom Center for Entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started um, just taking advantage of those resources too. So uh, the cool thing is with that, uh, because I had went through the customer discovery process and uh, with the NSF and all of that, I actually taught... Uh, a course in the School of Management no there on entrepreneurship yeah, and, and uh, the I-Core customer discovery process. So that was quite exciting. How'd it go? How'd it go? It was, it was great. You know, it's um, so the, this past week they had the uh, innovation challenge where some of these uh, students on campus would go pitch uh, their ideas like one or two minutes. Mm-hmm. And I saw some of the students from uh, your class. class. Nice. So I, 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 I sent a text to the, the, the co-teacher, and I was just like, hey, the babies are growing up. <laughs> so it was, it was quite awesome, you know, and to see that, uh, see from where they started to how really the customer discovery, the interviewing process really does help to shape, you know, the, the way forward for companies. It was pretty nice to see. Cool. So I, I, I feel like I didn't totally screw them up. So <laughs> <laughs> couldn't have gone that badly. <laughs> but uh, things worse. Ex- exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, I think that was part of my fear of becoming a professor too. It's like, who is really influential on a lot of students, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, I mean, in addition, so I mean, go back to your question that there were a lot of uh, opportunities here on campus, and I think they're continuing to, to provide those opportunities. Um, I think that for the stage that we are in the company, so we're transitioning from the customer discovery to now the next phase of really trying to prototype and launch the company, mm-hmm. is that uh, uh, we are really looking to find the complement for that phase, right? I think the university is very good at helping initial startup startup. Um, process but Mm -hmm. then there comes a point when you you know you gotta the rubber hits the road and you have to do it right and you i think that we're there but ultimately again surrounding yourself with the right people yeah i think we've been lucky to work with the folks from VentureWell uh and to work with them to in their aspire program and they've been quite helpful into helping us move into well how do you look at beyond the, the customer discovery to the uh, partnerships and investor side of things. How do you grow the business to right. where you're self-sustaining until you ha- can start um, producing or selling products? You know, we're in trees, right? So it's going to be a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so. Right. 
some um, things that are not as sexy, right? You know, <laughs> not, not the, oh, the criminal crop. It's sort of like, Are you okay. saying not everything about starting a business is sexy, Michael? Oh, trust me, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, one of our questions that we like to ask people okay. is uh, about stories, the stories that you've had as an entrepreneur in your startup. Uh-huh. And if you have a funniest story where it's just luck turned your way and uh. oh my god this is wonderful how on earth did i do this i you know i'm the man i'm the next tony stark like this is is excellent <laughs> and your scariest story where it's okay. just oh my god why am i here i have however many degrees <laughs> mm-hmm. i can be doing so many other things I could be getting paid like an actual salary. (laughs) Every time Chloe makes this intro, it sounds more and more personal. (laughs) (laughs) No comment on that, friends. (laughs) And so what what are – do you have a couple of stories that you'd Uh like to share? Well, I I, when you asked the question, I thought of one story that sort of – Bridge the gap for both. Oh, right? cool! All right. And it has, happens to do with the customer discovery. So I I told this story during my uh, iCore wrap up, and um, so it happened to be as I said we were I said earlier we were going to transition to working in trees, and so I had to go and talk to farmers. So the iCore team uh, was telling us, you know. Farmers, you know, if you're going to go talk to farmers, bring donuts, right? And I was just like, what? So I was like, all right. So, you know, I was really nervous because we had just come out of Chicago and then they said, all right, well, we have to go now down to South Carolina and go talk to some of the farmers. And, you know, as I said, like, it was a little scary situation for me, uh, Mm -hmm. not knowing what to expect. And it was during the time of you may remember they were having the demonstration mm-hmm. at the right. about the Confederate flag and yeah. then yep. all of the you know the groups with the Klan and yep. the Black sure. Panther Party. Why wouldn't you be a little it was more all, than a little freaked it was, out? It was huh? all happening in, in <laughs> South Carolina. I was like, holy moly. I was like, <laughs> I was like do I really need to do my interviews this week? So so you know ultimately I, I I was emailing a farmer and he said, Yeah, you know, come on come on out to the farm, uh, he's like, come on a Saturday, there'll be no one here, and I'll just meet you out there. And and I was all excited, right? And I was like, okay, this is great. I got my interview. Was it was easy? And then I hung up the phone. I I mean, I, I um, yeah. So I hung up the phone with him after we connected through email, and I started to think about what I just got myself into, right? <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, I'm going to some guy's farm in the middle of somewhere. I don't even know where I'm going. It's like this is weird. So, um, so I called my friend, who lives in South Carolina, and she said, "Oh, don't worry. You know, you know, all the all the clan is is in 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 Columbia. You're going out west, so oh you'll be fine." So I was like, "That didn't help me. <laughs> no, not at all. That didn't help me." So I, I was just like, "Okay, well, I'm just gonna do it." So I went to the Krispy Kreme donut uh, shop yep. in in. Uh, in South Carolina, and I got like a dozen donuts. I was like, okay. I was like, worst case scenario, I can use the donuts and leave it as trails, little breadcrumbs. I was thinking, I was like, it was like, if you know, or it'll help him calm him, you know, who are like whatever calm yeah. fears. So, I, I'm driving up, and it's really rural area. And yeah. I was like, oh, goodness. So I finally see this this truck. And it's like, okay, that must be him. So I drive up. 
And I'm like, okay, you got to get out the car, Mike. You got to get out the car. <laughs> so, so I get out the car and I immediately grab donuts so he, he could see them. And I don't say anything. I let that awkward silence come in. So then he responds, hey, Mike. You know, he's like really, really friendly and stuff like that. So my my fears sort of calmed down. And then he was so excited for the donuts, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it, I, I, it really worked. So, I mean, honestly, we, we had a, a good maybe two-hour conversation oh, on wonderful. the farm we actually were going out they had just harvested some of the wood so it was showing me the step-by-step process of the uh, what needs to be done how he's thinking about planting for the next season and I really got a lot of information from that interview and just being able to be open to going out and to right. uh, one take a walk in the woods with someone you don't know mm-hmm. but still be open enough to you know Understanding that you're, you're, there are differences, but, you know, you can find commonalities between people. And, and it's Krispy Kreme donuts. It was Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> Krispy Kreme. Not Dunkin' Donuts. It was Krispy Kreme. No, but I, not, I'm not knocking Dunkin' Donuts, but yeah. crisp, for, for the Southerners, they love Krispy Kreme. <laughs> Krispy Kreme. <laughs> I do wish Krispy Kreme was still here. Uh, so. Yeah. So that was kind of my, my funny story. That's uh, cool. Yeah. You know, it's, again, it goes back to that, you know, you really, when you're going to go out and, you say you're going to be an entrepreneur, you want to start a business, you have to be fearless because mm-hmm. there's so many things that will stop you from doing it right. as far as if you're afraid of where my next paycheck's going to come from, how am I going to support my family? I mean, those are valid uh, <laughs> things to think about, but they can ultimately stop you from even making the first step. Right. right. So I, I will say that, uh, to go back some, that mentorship is a very important key to this because – you know, as a scientist coming out of doing a postdoc and all you know is doing research, you really need to have the right mentors to help you navigate the transition. We're, we're pretty lucky in the Amherst area to have access to mentors, um, one from the Berthoom Center, but also Venture Well is right down the street. And uh, I think that um, surprisingly, there are a lot of people who are somewhere, have a house somewhere in these woods who have either started a business or been part of big businesses, and they're willing to help. So you just have to, you know, knock, say, on, the door. knock on the door and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm at this point, and would you be willing to help? So, I have a question. Do you still talk to that farmer who you visited? Ah, uh, Mr. McPhail? Yes, of course. You know, <laughs> I, I send him periodic, uh, like, updates, like nice. emails, just like, how, how are things going? Because uh, last year they were having a lot of floods and stuff like that in in South Carolina. So uh, one, just making sure that people down there are okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because you, you really start to build a relationship. And I, exactly. I, understand, I understand now that... You know, to really have a successful business, you really have to have a good relationship with your customers to understand, you know, their needs. And and I think that goes into, that involves really keeping the contacts and making sure that you sort of check in periodically. So, yeah. But yeah. So That's I cool. The people you meet, huh? I know. and But I have to say, too, you know, I, I went to school in South Carolina, right? right? So it was quite familiar. I, I like the South. Yeah. I, 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 it's, it's comforting. Yeah. In many ways. You can't get grits up here. Well, you just got to, yeah, but you Why can't. Why you want grits? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> you just never had good grits. Uh, maybe. Cheesy grits are very, very good. Like 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 <laughs> not a big grits fan, but. 
We'll see. Uh, we I'll won't hold that against you. <laughs> <laughs> Most people do. Most people from the South. Um, cool. Um, I remember I did have to spend a long time convincing my mother, who has spent her whole life really either um, in the Northeast. Uh-huh. Uh, she went to school in Madison, Wisconsin, but she grew up and currently lives uh-huh. um, in New England. That chicken and waffles, fried chicken and waffles, is a thing that people do. And it, it sounds it amazing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and not only is it delicious, but it's like ep- core part of the culture <laughs> and to not know that that's something that like people love mm-hmm. does syrup go on both parts of this how does syrup enter the chicken and waffles equation i think it just so just happens to migrate yeah. over okay right yeah. All so, sort so of you're not going out together. of your way but i i typically can, don't really but, you know <laughs> see that yeah. sounds good I've been <laughs> <laughs> so that's the northeast right, that's right. Exactly. what else can we put maple syrup on <laughs> So that's what gets me gets me jazzed about chicken and waffles. Cool. Well, um, you know, you have to try. Have you tried shrimping, shrimp and grits? I have not tried shrimp oh, and grits. So that's the thing. That's you, the thing. You have to try right. shrimp, shrimp and grits. grits. So. We got to figure out where we can get. It's very good. Cajun. Very Cajun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I want to get you with this one. I'm curious what sure. you say. But why um, don't you go first? Then? So, in your opinion, what what makes an entrepreneur? Like, what is an entrepreneur? I don't know. I think I, I'm still trying to figure that out. I, <laughs> I, I, but I, I, I honestly have to say that there are some characteristics I see. Mm-hmm. One is a fearlessness beyond, you know, reason, right? <laughs> <laughs> and two, just a, a belief that you can make it successful, mm-hmm. whatever it is, right? right? And as long as you have that passion about it, what you're doing, I think that's those are the characteristics that you that that encompass a, an entrepreneur. But I have no idea how to answer your question <laughs> truly because I think I think I'm I, as I and Genoverity grow, I'm still understanding what that means, right? Mm-hmm. Because I'm now understanding more about. Taxes and all these other things right. I'd never had to worry about, but that's part of being an entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's those, uh, you know, how do you how do you grow your business to a point where you can hire people, right. but at the same time, not hinder uh, some other aspect of growth, right? Because now those funds are being diverted elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So it's I don't know. I, I think that. Give me a few years. I'll let you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> I actually, you're gonna have I think s- that's the perfect answer. Yeah, I think we you're going to have the for. same answer in two years. Or yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's another point that we at Talk Lean to Me are trying to make is that it's really anybody can be an entrepreneur mm-hmm. if you really think you have if you have a great idea mm-hmm. and you have the fearlessness to go pursue it. Right. And the passion to keep it going in rain or shine, whether you are looking for the nearest Krispy Kreme donut (laughs) (laughs) or coming back home from a successful interaction with a customer, potential customer. Um, It's really, you just have to have that drive and the grit to be able to Mm -hmm. handle it. Mm -hmm. I like your answer of I don't know. I think that's really one of the better answers. But but I think, too, that ultimately... 
you have to be, at least I'm vulnerable enough to say I don't know. And I think that helps me as an entrepreneur, right? I mean, it debatably helps you in all walks of life. <laughs> you have to be. <laughs> well, I mean, I have to say that, you know, as a, as a scientist, at least in the life sciences, your job is to know. And when I was in grad school, they, my job was to know the answer and to be the smartest one about my particular subject. Mm-hmm. And now I'm being put in a position where I'm not going to know it all. And you know, I'm trying to fill in the gaps, but there's always something new. Yeah. Right? So. I think you nailed it. And it's it's one of those things where I have to just be honest. Look, hey, sometimes I'm just not going to know it. <laughs> but if you surround yourself with the right people, yep. those mentors. it's okay mm-hmm. to not know it. Yep. But you better learn it. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And the other question that we tend to like to close with is where does your drive come from? Mm. Uh, obviously, you're a highly driven entrepreneur. Um, what what gets you up in the morning? What gets you to go take these risks? What what what, what gives you that fearlessness? Um, huh. I think it's one my faith and believing in not only myself, but that it goes beyond just me and what I'm trying to do. Right? I'm I'm not in this just to build a business for myself. I actually have a bigger purpose. Right. It was. It all started from uh, trying to help the environment or help others, right? So now, when I have gone out to talk to the farmers and I see, you know, the potential positive benefits we could provide to them, I, I think that helps motivate me. Mm-hmm. And you know, other than that, it's sort of like, well, what else am I gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like I really can't. I really can consider going backwards or mm-hmm. to what I was doing before because I'm having so much fun doing right. this now that the thought of the going back to the old way of things just is not reasonable. It's the funniest thing that I, I think I even told Sam, the, the, some of my team members, is that I have actually haven't had this much fun in a long time. <laughs> and I mean, I love science, right? But I think... The excitement and the newness of all of this has given me a new sort of uh, drive to see this through, mm-hmm. where I feel like the science has, to a point, got repetitive, maybe because I've been doing it for so long. Uh, two postdocs, holy <laughs> heck, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, now it's, it's really understanding that, that all of that effort in uh, understanding science and understanding the, the details of what makes science science and really applying it to solve a problem is is exciting. You really get to see the the benefits of what you've worked so hard for. Mm-hmm. Totally. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Mike, for joining us today. Yeah, thank you um, very, very much. And for all of our listeners, uh, please check out our show notes on our website at talkcleanpodcast.com uh, for more information on Genoverde and uh, there are links to their website um, and any social media. Genoverde.com. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if you would like to support the show, please tell a friend, tweet about us, follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn. Um, shoot us an email at contact at talkcleanpodcast.com. Um, and listening in the far future, please give us a review on uh, 
iTunes. Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice is. Yep. All right. Um, well, everybody, this has been um, Talk Clean to Me. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Mike, thanks again for thank joining you guys. us. This has and, been uh, great. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, talk to you later, guys. Thanks for listening. Ciao. <laughs> nice.